0: Section eighty eight of Stratagems and Conspiracies to Defraud Life Insurance Companies. This is a Librivox recording. All Librivox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit Librivox.org. Read by Piotr Natter. Stratagems and Conspiracies to Defraud Life Insurance Companies. An authentic record of remarkable cases by John B. Lewis and Charles C. Bombow. Problematic cases part ten the maybrick case few cases have attracted so much attention or attained so much notoriety as that of mrs maybrick both by reason of the persistent effort on the part of prominent american women to obtain her pardon and release believing that she was unjustly accused and convicted of the murder of her husband and also of the disputes in the english courts by leading members of the bar over the question of the liabilities of life insurance companies in respect to claims based upon deaths caused by murder. It is with more especial reference to the latter point that this case is introduced into this volume. If it be assumed that James Maybrick was poisoned, the inherent probabilities as to the motive point less strongly to the insurance on his life than to the woman's improper intimacy with another man. Mrs. Maybrick was the daughter of the late W. G. Chandler, a banker of Mobile, Alabama, and was educated in Germany and France she met her future husband on an ocean steamer on the way to england in may 1880 he was a liverpool cotton broker and the acquaintance then formed ripened into marriage a year after the couple first lived in norfolk virginia where mr maybrick had business interests but at the end of two years they went to liverpool their home being at aberg one of the suburbs they lived happily together according to all appearances with the addition of a boy born in 1882 and the girl in eighteen eighty six the first quarrel that was known to have occurred followed their return from the grand national races in the course of a violent altercation that night the servants heard mr maybrick shout such a scandal will be all over town to-morrow this outburst presumably had reference to her rash flirtations with her friend mr breeley on or about october third eighteen eighty eight James Maybrick effected an insurance upon his life with the Mutual Reserve Fund Life Association of New York, in the sum of two thousand pounds, in favour of his wife, Florence Elizabeth Maybrick. On May eleventh, eighteen 1889, James Maybrick died. A coroner's inquest was held, and the jury returned a verdict charging Mrs. Maybrick with causing his death. She was thereupon indicted for the murder of her husband by the administration of Arsenic, and upon trial before mr justice stephen at the liverpool assizes in august eighteen eighty nine she was found guilty by the jury on the fifteenth she was sentenced to be hanged but the sentence was afterward commuted to penal servitude for life the official record relating thereto being in the following terms her majesty having been graciously pleased to extend her royal mercy to the said offender on condition that she be kept in penal servitude for the remainder of her natural life, and such condition of mercy having been signified to this court by the right Hon. Henry Matthews, one of Her Majesty's principal secretaries of state, this court hath allowed to the said offender the benefit of a conditional pardon, and it is therefore ordered that the said Florence Elizabeth Maybrick be kept in penal servitude for the remainder of her natural life the cause of mr maybrick's death was gastroenteritis inflammation of the stomach and intestines which the doctors declared had been induced by some irritant poison after the arrest of mrs maybrick the house was searched and eighty-five grains of arsenic were found the post-mortem examination revealed no arsenic in the stomach but a fraction of a grain was found in the liver the trial which lasted six days was largely a battle of experts Doctors Carter, Humphreys, and Stevenson stoutly maintaining that death was due to arsenical poisoning, while doctors Tidy, McNamara, Baron, and Professor Paul contesting that view. It was proved on the trial that Maybrick had purchased a hundred and fifty grains of arsenic three months before his death, and it was also shown that he was greatly addicted to dosing himself with drugs, and that arsenic in minute quantities was one of his favourite remedies. The charge of Justice Stephen to the jury was so unjudicial, so one-sided, and so condemnatory of the prisoner that, though the jury brought in a verdict of guilty in thirty-eight minutes, a revulsion of feeling in her favour followed among the people, which was reflected in the press. Sir Charles Russell protested against it to the Home Secretary in forcible terms, and even the counsel for the Crown, Mr. Addison, said that the verdict was not warranted by the evidence soon afterward stephen was compelled by insanity to retire from the bench and his death followed by the will of james maybrick dated april twenty fifth eighteen eighty nine thomas maybrick and michael maybrick were appointed his executors on or about august first eighteen eighty nine mrs maybrick assigned the life insurance policy and all her interests thereunder to richard stewart cleaver the assignment was by deed and notice thereof was duly given to the mutual reserve fund on august thirtieth eighteen eighty nine cleaver was appointed administrator of the property and effects of florence elizabeth maybrick subsequently when a claim was made for the amount of the policy the association refused to pay the managers had advanced two hundred pounds in view of the impoverished condition of mrs maybrick and in response to her urgent petition to meet the expenses of her defence at the liverpool assizes but the payment was upon the express condition that it should be without prejudice to any question that might arise in regard to the policy or to the liability of the defendant company thereunder suit was brought by the plaintiff cleaver as assignee and administrator or in the alternative the plaintiffs thomas and michael maybrick as executors for recovery of eighteen hundred pounds the balance of the amount of the policy the issues of law arising in the action were argued in the queen's bench division of the high court of justice july thirteenth eighteen ninety one and concluded july twentieth the questions of law for the opinion of the court were stated as follows One whether, if it be proved that the said James Maybrick died from poison intentionally administered to him by the said Florence Elizabeth Maybrick, that would afford a defence to this action a. as against the plaintiff Richard Stuart Cleaver, as assignee of the policy from Florence Elizabeth Maybrick, assuming the assignment to be proved, b. as against the plaintiff Cleaver as administrator under the statute 33 and 34 Vic chapter twenty three section nine c as against the plaintiffs thomas and michael maybrick as executors of james maybrick deceased two whether if the conviction of the said florence elizabeth maybrick alleged in the statement of defence be proved in this action such conviction will be a conclusive of her guilt and an answer to this action as against any or either and which of the plaintiffs b admissible in evidence in this action three whether either the commutation of the sentence stated in the plaintiff's reply on the grounds there set forth or the conditional pardon on the grounds stated in the defendant's rejoinder will if proved afford an answer to the alleged conviction the court records show that as a curiosity of legal pleading the ingenious effort of sir charles russell the eminent counsel for the plaintiffs and now lord chief justice of england took high rank he admitted that florence maybrick herself had no right to benefit by her crime a claim for her right to recover would be simply monstrous but he contended that even if it were admitted that james maybrick died from poison intentionally administered by his wife and that she had no remedy the question at issue was whether the plaintiffs the assignee cleaver or the executors thomas and michael maybrick who under the married women's property act of 1882 where trustees of mrs maybrick could recover but the felonies act and the principles of public policy were too strong even for the argumentative force of sir charles russell nothing can be clearer than that it would be against public morals and the established policy of law for a murderer to profit by his own crime if therefore there was a fatal objection to a suit on the part of the woman herself to recover the amount of insurance on her husband's life the objection applied with equal force to a suit on the part of her legal representatives. They are in no better position, in point of fact, than the woman herself. The Queen's Bench Division, Mr. Justice Denman and Mr. Justice Wills, held that, the action being for the benefit of Mrs. Maybrick, it was against public policy that such an action should be allowed. The plaintiffs appealed. On the 8th of December, 1891, the case came up on appeal, from the decision of the Queen's Bench, before the Court of Appeal, the Master of the Rolls and Lords Justices Fry and Lopes. This Court, in pronouncing judgment, drew a sharp line of distinction between the two plaintiff contestants, the Administrator and the Executors. The Master of the Rolls gave a lengthy opinion concluding as follows. Section 11 of the Married Women's Property Act, 1882, creates a trust in favour of the wife. The section provides that so long as any object of the trust remains unperformed the money is not to form part of the insured's estate therefore it results from that that if the object of the trust is performed the money forms part of the insured's estate no trustee was appointed therefore under that section the executors were the trustees of the policy for the purposes aforesaid that is for the wife so long as any object of the trust remains unperformed and when the trust is performed, the money is to form part of the estate. If the wife were to die during the lifetime of her husband, no one could contend that the insurance company could refuse to receive any money premiums, and refuse to go on with the contract. I take it that, upon a fair reading of section 2, if the object of the trust has become impossible, it is right to say that the object of the trust is so far performed. That being so, and the section being subject to the rule of public policy, Mrs. Maybrick has rendered the trust incapable of being performed. She must be treated as struck out of the trust. The trust must be treated as performed. The rule of public policy must not be carried further than is necessary. That rule is not necessary as between the executors and the defendants. When the money is in the hands of the executors, they hold it for the wife. But the trust is gone. They are then trustees of the estate." the creditors if any of the husband will get paid out of it and then it will go on to his children the children do not claim through the wife but through the father and there is nothing in public policy to prevent this if the rule of public policy applied to such a case it would create a grievous injustice anyone claiming through the wife is shut out therefore her assignee and any creditors of hers are shut out but the rule does not apply as between executors of the husband and the defendants there is therefore no defence to this action as against the claim of the executors and judgment must be entered for them plaintiff who claims through the wife must fail the lords justices concurred in this view lord justice fry closing his opinion in the following terms if the executors are not trustees for florence maybrick for whom are they trustees this question seems to admit of an easy answer. Whenever there is property produced by the payment of A which is held in trust for B, and that trust fails or is satisfied, a resulting trust arises for A or his estate. This resulting trust is recognized by the section of the act in question, because it takes the property out of the estate of the insured so long as any object of the trust remains unperformed. Language which implies, if it does not assert that when no object of the trust remains to be performed, the policy monies form part of the estate of the insured. If it be suggested that this view only removes the difficulty a step further off, and that the possible right of the wife under her husband's will or intestacy forms an objection to the action by the executors, the reply is obvious, that the principle of public policy must be applied as often as any claim is made by the murderess, and will always form an effectual bar to any benefit which she may seek to acquire as the result of her crime it follows from the view which i have expressed that i think it needless to inquire into what the particular trusts on which the administrator of the convict's property appointed under the statute of eighteen seventy may be he took only the property which florence maybrick had in the money's in question and as she took nothing in my judgment by reason of her crime he takes nothing likewise it may be argued that having regard to the fact that mrs maybrick is the prime object of the insurance and that she is named on the face of the policy as payee, the contract of insurance must be taken to imply as exception of the case of the death of the insured when caused by the crime of the person so named and it is suggested that fauntleroy's case in the house of lords supports this contention. this argument does not appear to me as tenable the policy is effected under and therefore affected by a statutory enactment the effect of which in the present case is to vest the policy in the executors of the insured as trustees in the event of mrs maybrick's being entitled to claim in trust for her and in every other event in trust for the estate of james Maybrick, just in the same way as if before the statute a policy had been taken out by james maybrick and he had by a separate instrument declared the like trusts of it now it is to my mind illogical to make the crime of one cestuiqui trust a bar to the claim of another or of the trustees for that other cestuiqui trust and if the supposed defence were to prevail we should so hold if mrs maybrick had inflicted a mortal but not immediately fatal wound on her husband had then committed suicide leaving him surviving and his executors had claimed on his death it appears to me that the crime which caused his death would have furnished no defence in a word i think that the rule of public policy should be applied so as to exclude from benefit the criminal and all claiming under her but not as to exclude alternative or independent rights in fultonroy's case the plaintiffs were the assigns of the criminal and were claiming through him in the present case the plaintiffs are the assigns in law of the innocent husband and are claiming through him the authority therefore of that case goes to show that neither florence maybrick nor the administrator of her estate who claims through her can take any benefit but that appears to me to throw no impediment in the way of a suit by those who claim with clean hands themselves and as assigns of the innocent insured in a word, it appears to me that the crime of one person may prevent that person from the assertion of what would otherwise be a right, and may accelerate or beneficially affect the rights of third persons, but can never prejudice or injuriously affect those rights. In my opinion, therefore, public policy prevents Florence Maybrick from asserting any title as cestui qui trust of this fund, and thereby brings into operation the resulting trust in favour of the estate of the insured and so enables the executors to maintain an action as plaintiffs without any taint derived from the crime committed by florence Maybrick. the mutual reserve fund association was strongly advised to appeal from this adverse decision to the house of lords but meanwhile a new complication arose and the management resolved to make no further contest Informal notice was given that the Crown would claim the proceeds of the policy, technical difficulty having been discovered in the reasonings from which the foregoing quotations have been taken. After the decision of the Court of Appeal as to the liability of the executors of the estate of James Maybrick, the association was ready to comply with the ruling, but on finding that Mr. Cleaver would not waive his claim, and that the Crown was not likely to waive its rights, the full amount of the claim on the policy was paid into court for final adjudication whether mrs maybrick poisoned her husband with criminal intent is a question which can only be answered by the inmate of the walking prison herself End of section 88.